to come to our service this afternoon. One of the things I really uh, love is I love, again, um, coming together twice uh, to have two services on a Sunday. You know, you know as you go uh, around and you look through Essex County and you look at the uh, times that are posted for the services on various different churches, you'll find that uh, most often um, churches don't have a, se- a second service on Sunday. They've all but disappeared, and I realize, again, all of us have busy lives and, uh, and all of that, but is there, there's something for taking a whole day, you know, and really focusing in on Christ, you know, and even coming out twice on a Sunday where we're not just fed once during the week, but we're fed twice during the week. I, I think that really helps us, especially, again, when we come on, on uh, Wednesday evening and, and, um, and, and really invest in, in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've always enjoyed it. I, I, I think as far as my spiritual formation, uh, coming out twice on Sunday, you know, is special for me because I'm preaching twice on Sunday. And let me say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I enjoy preaching. I, I enjoy studying the Word of God. So I've enjoyed, uh, for the past 23 years, every single Sunday, coming out and preaching two times, um, Wednesday, Wednesday evening, you know, doing a lesson that happens to be there. I've learned so much, and I've really grown in appreciation, again, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I've always looked forward to going through the Gospel of John, and, and now, now that we're going through it, you know, I'm just so blessed by seeing this portrait, again, of our Savior. And last time we were together, you'll recall uh, that it was a re- real integral time. We're in that final week before Jesus' crucifixion, and he comes to the crowd, and uh, he shows again that he's Messiah. They hear this voice that comes from heaven, you know, that, uh, that this is my beloved son, you know, that he has glorified the name of the Father and will glorify the name of the Father. But then they start questioning whether Jesus is the Messiah. It's, it's an amazing passage of Scripture. And what comes after that is Jesus' last public address before his crucifixion. You know, the next time the crowds will see him is when he has been beaten before Pilate. And Pilate gives him the opportunity of releasing the Lord Jesus. And they'll cry out, crucify, crucify. This is the last public appearance. And Jesus says, make sure you don't harden your hearts. Make sure you don't blacken your souls by rejecting me, who is the light. And this light is only with you for a short time. And then right after that, in verse number 36, he says these words. He says, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. I mean, it's an amazing statement, isn't it? And Jesus hides himself from them, not because he's scared of them or scared again that they might do something to him, but this is a judicial hiding because of the hardness of hearts and because they have rejected him. Because look at what he says, look at what John records in verse number 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still, otherwise this was ongoing, they still did not believe in him. So remember what the signs were. The signs were pointing to something else, and they're pointing to the nature or to the personhood of the Lord Jesus, that he actually is the Savior. It would give him the uh, platform to preach, you know, that salvation is found in him and that they need to trust in him. And it's amazing because when you look at some of these miracles, they were otherworldly miracles. There's no other way to really explain it. You know, he takes a man who is born blind and he gives him sight. You know, he takes a, a, another gentleman who is dead in the grave, roll away the stone, Lazarus comes forth, and all of a sudden he gives life. You know, and the amazing thing through all of this that we're told in the Word of God that they question whether he truly is the valid Messiah that they happen to be waiting for. And it really brings up a question in the narrative as Jesus hides himself, and the question is again basically this, has the purposes of a God failed? 
You know, as you read over and over in the Old Testament, you read over and over in the Old Testament that Messiah would come and he would be a blessing to the people. But here we see Messiah come and all of a sudden he is rejected. He is rejected. He's rejected. Even after all that preaching, all those miracles that, that, that he had done, they still done, did not believe in him. And what we have again in this section is an explanation again of John, of all of this, of why this rejection took place. You know, and it really brings up the question, have the purposes of God failed? You know, and, and when John gives the answer, it basically talks about, again, human responsibility and God's sovereignty. You know, how far do we take God's sovereignty? You know, is God all of a sudden reacting to man in time, you know, his decisions, and then he has a, has a will that comes out of that? Or is God absolutely, totally sovereign over every decision, everything that comes to pass? You know, how much of salvation's story is really his story, his plan? How, how much are the, all the activities that take place around the cross his plan? That happened to me again right there. You know, and let me just say this, the teaching that happens to be again right here is some of the most controversial teaching that happens to be in all of the Gospel of John. And it reads a lot like Romans chapter 9 uh, through 11. You know, and I think these are, these are important to see. And let me just say this, that a lot of people even get angry about this, you know, this passage of Scripture. And I think we have to understand a couple things. One is that we have to understand that God's ways are not our ways. Isn't it true? You know, God's ways are not our ways. You know, God is much more bigger. He's much more, much more grander. You know, we cannot understand these things and put them in a theological box and put a nice little uh, 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 a bow on it, you know, and truly understand God. We many times use the expression of God that God is incomprehensible. And what we mean by what he's incomprehensible is he truly cannot be discerned by a finite mind. He's infinite, isn't he? So even the things that we know about God, we really do not know them to the nth degree. Let me give you an example of that. We know God is love, right? But to really understand the depths and the immensity of his love, we're, we're going to be spending all of eternity to understand that. You know, and one of the things that scripture instills upon us over and over and over is God is incomprehensible. So when we read these things that happen to be again in the word of God, it's so easy to scratch our heads and say, I don't, don't understand. I, I don't agree with that. But what we need to do is place ourselves underneath the word of God and accept what the word of God says. The other thing that we see again in this passage of scripture, or we have to keep, keep in mind, is that God's sovereignty gives everything purpose. It, it really does. You know, if God is just responding to uh, different, uh, different events that take place that happen to be in our life, then in some events, there, there's no purpose, there's no reason. But when we see God's absolute sovereign over the greatest evil that has ever been done in the universe, and that's around the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we understand that he is sovereign over everything. And let me tell you, that gives purpose to everything. It gives purpose to all of our suffering. It gives purpose to all of our trials. It gives purpose to everything that happens to be in life. So when we try to answer this question, has the purposes of God's failed, it's absolutely important. And what, what I want us to do this afternoon, just for a few moments, is I want us to walk through the passage so we can really see what the passage says, so we can apply it properly. And then I just want to give a, a couple of brief conclusions, again, about what it says. But we really need to see what, what it says. And I want us to read through the passage, 
It's so only a, sh a few short verses that we're going to be looking at this afternoon, but I really want us to think. Think as these are put in. I think a lot of times when verses are put up there, especially a little elongated passage of Scripture, which we're not going to read, it's so easy to go in sort of a, sort of a uh, commercial mode that happened to be, be in our life. Listen to what is being spoken here and said. And so we have, beginning at verse number 38, it says, So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And these are the words. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And then it says this, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, I, I want us to look at this quotation that's taken from Isaiah. But before we look at this quotation that's taken from Isaiah, Isaiah, I want us to see that what he's explaining is the unbelief. What he's explaining is the rejection of the Jews, the vast majority of the Jews, of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiahship of him. And in verse number 38, he begins this way. He says, so that, right, after saying, though he's done all these miracles, all of these signs and wonders, that they, um, uh, and still they have not believed, and it says, so that the word of the word spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. And let me just stop right there because notice how he starts that off. So that. That's a purpose statement, isn't it? Right? It's telling us, again, that this happened because we need this to happen. So that the word of the prophet, Isaiah, and then he uses this word, fulfilled. And, and if you know what the word fulfilled means, it means come to pass. And what it's talking about right here is not that, that God is looking down the corridor of time and he's given uh, Isaiah some sort of a revelation that's going to come in the, in the future. When he says fulfilled, he's talking about the direct plan of God. So when we look at the rejection of Jesus Christ by the vast majority of the Jews, this is what he's saying. This is the plan of God. Now, there's, there's those who would contend that this, this is not what it means. You know, and this is the second thing that, we, that, that uh, we have to keep in mind when we look at that phrase. What people say when they say that the word of the, that, that this, so that the word of the prophet might come to pass or might be fulfilled, that this is just a general principle. That's all it is. You know, God didn't do this. This is just a general principle of life. So people, the vast majority of people during the, the reign or during the ministry of Isaiah rejected the word of the Lord. During Jesus' time, they rejected the word of the Lord. And we can expect, even as we preach Jesus Christ today, that the vast majority of people will reject Jesus Christ. And this is just the way it is. This is just a general principle that John is bringing up. But is it? You know, when you look at that word fulfilled, but, but also look at, uh, look at uh, verse number 41, because he said, Isaiah said these things because, this is why he said these things, he saw, in other words, he's seeing something through the lens of God, through the revelation of God. He saw his glory, speaking of Christ's glory, and spoke of, here it is, him. It's speaking of something historical happening that, that Isaiah is saying, and now he is recording. And let me say, when you look at these quotes that happen to be right here, that's exactly what's happening. You know, Isaiah is seeing something that's going to take place in the future, and that is the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ by the vast majority of those who happen to be called Jews. You know, and, and we can see that in verse number 38 because it says this. Here is the quote, Lord 
Who has believed what we had heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now think about that because we will say, well, what does that mean? You know, and, and think about this because this is a passage of Isaiah where you read this, if you read this verse, you would be stymied out of all 66 verses probably thinking, where does that fit in? Where is that found in Isaiah? And let me tell you, it's the most familiar chapter in all of Isaiah where that, that passage happens to be or that verse happens to be. And it happens to be, does, it, does, does anybody know? What is it? 53. I mean, listen to these verses because these are very po- uh, popular. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse number four, it starts off this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him that was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. So think about it. Again, what here is being quoted by John is this passage that deals with what? The suffering servant of the Lord. And let me say it again beyond a shadow of a doubt. This is historical in nature. So when he talks about this rejection, when he quotes this, this uh, verse that happens to be right here, he's talking about the rejection that Jesus would have and God and how God, no one's re- believed who we are, no one's believed our report. He's talking about this rejection of the Jews by none other. He's talking about the rejection of Jesus Christ by the Jews that God would providentially use to put Jesus on the cross. And you can see that in verse number three. You know, it says he was despised and rejected of men. This is verse uh, Isaiah 53, verse number three. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one of whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And that passage tells us that he was rejected. He was despised, right? And if he's not despised, if he's not rejected by the Jews, then he does not go to the cross. Now think about this, because this is heavy stuff. Because it's telling us beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is hardening their hearts for a particular reason. And that is that Jesus Christ might go to the cross of Calvary. That's what we have in Isaiah chapter 53. This is all taking place by the plan of God. You know, and even, even uh, uh, Paul talks about that. Paul talks about that over in, um, let me see. Oh, well, let me just back up a second, even before I, uh, I uh, get there, because the thing that we have, no, we, uh, the, uh, I've lost my place just for a second here. Here we are. Before we, we uh, get, get there, we have to ask ourselves if our conclusions are right. You know, are our conclusions right that this is what he's talking about, is it a, uh, about the cross and God hardened their hearts? And you have to come to that, because in verse number 39, he says, therefore, right? This is a conclusion. Therefore, they could not believe for again, Isaiah said, and he goes to the second quote that happens to be right there, and therefore, they could not believe. It talks about an inability to believe, right? And like I say, this is hard stuff. This is difficult stuff, and many people balk at what this says. In fact, Richard Phillips quotes William Barclay as writing this. It seems to say that God has ordained that certain people must not and will not believe, now, in whatever way we are going to explain this passage, we cannot explain it, believe that. We cannot believe that God, whom Jesus told us about, would make it impossible for his children 
to believe. And I want you to see what William Barclay is saying. He's saying this. What this passage says, it cannot say. That's, that's what he's saying. And it's impossible to say what it says. Even though we have, at the beginning of this passage, so that, quote, therefore, they could not believe. It doesn't say that they would not believe. It says they could not believe. It talks about, again, a willful rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also an inability that happens to be, again, in their heart. Now, think about it. Because, again, so, so, so many people, oh, that's not the way I think about God. That's not the way I think about God. That's not the way I think about God. And I think John anticipates that they're going to object to what he's teaching here. And because, again, he anticipates this objection that happens to be right here, he brings in a second quote from Isaiah. And let me just say this. This passage is probably not familiar. These verses are probably not familiar to you either. But the chapter is. You know, you might not even know what the chapter is, but it's in Isaiah chapter 6. And remember what happens in Isaiah chapter 6? There's much uncertainty that happens to be in the nation of Israel because the king Uzziah has has, uh, died. And here is uh, Isaiah, and he's in the temple, and all of a sudden he's given this great vision. You know, he sees the throne of God. He sees the train of God. It's all uh, filled with smoke. And there happen to be seraphims that are flying around the throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah, instead of thinking this is a real neat experience, thinks that he is undone. Why? Because he has seen the glory of the Lord. And he is a man who lives among those who are unclean and has unclean lips. And then you have the one of the seraphims fly over, and they lift again a, uh, with tongues a, a coal from the altar, and they bring it over to uh, Isaiah's lips, and they put it on his lips, on his tongue, and he's purified. You know, and that's where this passage of Scripture comes in. This passage, again, is in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, but I'll begin reading in verse number 8 just to give you the context, and listen to what it says. It says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, and here's the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, now here's the commissioning of Isaiah. And see again if you would like this commissioning. Here it is. Go and say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And this is... This is what Isaiah's whole ministry was about. Make the heart of the people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then he he said, and this is a question I would ask if I was Isaiah. Then he said, how long, O Lord? (laughs) Right? And this is the answer. And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant." And houses without people. And the land is desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken place are many in the midst of the land. What did the preaching, what did Isaiah's preaching ministry bring forth? And this is what it did. It brought forth the hardness of the hearts. God uses an instrument, a divine instrument, to harden their hearts that their rebellion might come to fruition. And he might judge 
his people. You know, and the one who did all of that is none other than the Lord. Now, we do have to be careful because it's so easy to think that these people are just like on a chessboard and they're just being moved around and they're not culpable and they're not responsible. You know, they're just free moral agents. You know, they're neutral again in all that they do. Listen to what D.A. Carson explains in his commentary because I think it's so helpful. He says, God's judicial hardening is not presented as a capricious manipulation. In other words, doing something, again, that's not proper, of an arbitrary potentate, in other words, a great ruler, cursing morally neutral or even morally pure beings. But this is what it is. But as a holy condemnation of guilty people who are condemned to do and be what they themselves have chosen. Right? And remember the question we asked at the beginning. We asked the question at the beginning this. Has God's purposes failed? The vast majority of those that happen to be again in Israel saw the miracles and heard the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, rejected him. And now Jesus withdraws himself and will not give any further light until after his death, burial, and resurrection have the purposes of God have failed. And the answer is again, absolutely not. The purposes of God never fail. And so what conclusions can we draw from this? And one of the conclusions that we can draw from this as we look at this hardening again of the Jews is that this is not just part of the plan of God. This is the plan of God for the gospel. Isn't it true? If there's no hardening of the Jews, if the religious leaders don't hate, they don't have this animosity, they don't have this fierceness, they don't have this anger against the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's no cross. God planned all of this to come to pass. And these people, again, are acting freely. It says Peter, again, uh, prays in in Acts chapter 4. He says this, For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And then he says this, To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now think about it. Does God use evil? To accomplish his purposes? And the answer is yes. Now, let me just say he's not culpable for the evil. And let me give you the best theological explanation of why that is so. I don't know. People do what they freely want to do, but what comes to pass is exactly what has been ordained by God. That's what the word of God says. I know it's not a neat theological bow, but that's what the word of God says. And let me ask you, does that bother you? Does that bother you? And if it bothers you, then the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ bothers you. This is the gospel of God. This is his plan that has come to pass. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus went to the cross, but he went to the cross. And think of what, what happens, because, because the Jews reject him and he goes to the cross, what happens is this plethora, this absolutely amazing salvation to the Gentile nations. You know, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 11, verse number 25, he says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. What is the mystery? Here it is. A partial hardening. In other words, there is some Jews that have come to Christ, but a partial hardening has come upon Israel. Why? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So we see this judicial hardening has been planned of God, and we both see the severity of God 
and also the mercy of God that is given to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we have to say. God's ways are higher. God's ways are nobler. God's wisdom is so much that we should not think in our own wisdom that we can truly fully comprehend what he says. His ways, again, are not our ways. But let me say this also. As you look at this passage of Scripture and you look at the sovereignty of God in hardening the Jews who saw all of these miracles and heard the teaching of Jesus that grace comes from him, one of the things you have to understand is salvation is not under our control. And we made that point last time we looked at the text, and I'm going to make it again. Salvation is not under our control. Because I think we think so glibly and we think again so surfacely about this. That, yeah, I'm convicted of sin. Yeah, I know I'm a sinner. Yeah, I know I need this salvation, but I'm going to put it off. I'm going to wait for tomorrow. But, but you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, again, when you were shocked, the initial shock of your sin before a holy God, you recognize, again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, your need of repentance. But the next day that you come, because this is what happens. You know, it happens in, in, in two aspects. One is you harden your own heart. It's so easy tomorrow. When I do not repent today, it's so easy to harden my heart tomorrow against the same message. In fact, it becomes easier and easier and easier and easier. Somebody can preach about sin. Somebody can teach about sin. Somebody can teach about the efficacy again of Christ. And it just doesn't seem to penetrate after a while. Heard it all before. Heard it all before. And let me just say, this this is a good lesson for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know beyond a shadow of doubt, when we are challenged to look at sin that happened to be in our life, it's a gift of God's grace? Do we realize that? Do we realize that conviction of sin is a grace of God that we do not deserve in our life? And when we see some lack of conformity that happens to be again in our life through the preaching, through the teaching of God's word, you know this. If I say, oh, well, you know what I'm going to do? Tomorrow I'm going to change. You know, tomorrow, it's a lot easier to put it off. You know, oh, I know I've got to have a pure mind, a pure heart, but I, I just want to look at that today. Yeah, 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 I know I shouldn't be overcome with anger, but, uh, but I just want to vent this one time, this one time more. And let me tell you, the more that we do that, the easier it is to do tomorrow. And today is the day of repentance, whether we happen to be a believer or an unbeliever. It's a gift of God's grace to be convicted of sin. Don't be fooled. You know, and don't harden your heart. You know, because that's one aspect. The other aspect of that is that conviction of sin because it is a grace of God. It's not ours. Right? God is under no obligation to challenge you tomorrow to put off sin and trust in him because it's in his power. And that's what this whole passage of Scripture, again, is about. It's about him, that this is under his power. He's under no obligation to offer it again and again and again and again. And the other amazing aspect about this is God's not only sovereign over the hardening of human hearts, he's also sovereign over the giving of grace, isn't he? You know, in other words, he can take blind eyes and he can give them sight. He can take a dead heart and make it living so much so that it responds again to him. And that's why we see, we see this statement again over and over and over and over. And, and uh, Jonah says it again in his, in his prophecy. But this, salvation is of the Lord, right? right? It's not a cooperation. Salvation is of him. And that's why we praise him. 
But but if you happen to be here this uh, this afternoon, if you happen to be even watching online, and you're outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, He can give you the grace that is necessary to respond to this message, to respond to the great grace that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, May God use this passage to open blind eyes. May God use this passage that we might see the grace of God and truly respond and recognize beyond a shadow of a doubt, today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of salvation. Don't spurn his love today. You never know if it's going to be around tomorrow. Trust in him today. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, this is such hard truth. But we come back to recognizing that you are the great sovereign one. You are the great high and mighty one. Lord, that your will can never be thwarted. Though even as we read from Ezekiel, Lord, the powers of man look so impressive, look so beautiful, look so stunning at times. But Lord, we recognize that you're the ultimate Lord. You're the ultimate king. Lord, you're the one who controls everything and all things. And we pray, Lord, if there's any in the midst here this, this afternoon that are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would open up their hearts. Lord, that uh, you would bring them to that point of repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. And for us as believers, Lord, so often we hear the word, so often we're challenged to change that happen to be in our life, and so often we'll, we'll say to ourselves, I will do it tomorrow, I'll get my life in order tomorrow. But we realize when tomorrow comes, it's so much easier to put it off. God, may we do those things. May we recognize your grace in convicting us today. And may we respond to that grace. We thank you once again for your goodness. And we thank you for your amazing grace. Just be with us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.